On this day in 1984, Frankie Goes to Hollywood's Relax became the longest-running chart hit since Engelbert Humperdinck's Release Me, spending around 43 weeks on the singles chart. Written by the group's leader Holly Johnson, bassist Mark O'Toole and drummer Peter Gill, Relax with the first Frankie Goes to Hollywood single, and um, it was pretty controversial in the US. Any sexual innuendo contained in the song got little attention. But in the UK, a lot of controversy. It was banned uh, by the BBC. And as a result, many in the UK sought out the song to hear why it was banned. Record stores had trouble keeping it in stock. The song was, as our panellists will know, huge. Uh, the BBC lifted the ban in December 1984. What I'd love to know, Leone, is if the BBC banned it in 1984, did RNZ ban the song in 1984? Someone, yep. someone will know. Yeah, but no. Yet, yet. Like, I didn't even know it was banned. I remember that because I was yeah. a student at the time. You see? And I thought, you know, it used to be played at the pubs and nightclubs, and um, I never had any idea it was banned. And in England as well. Yeah, oh, I mean, a little bit risque, some would say there, Alan Blackman, but what a tune, right? Yeah, it's a great oh, song. I, I don't think it would have been RNZ sort of thing in those days, or, or oh. credit to RNZ, but I, I think they were right. more conservative in those days. Okay. But yeah, maybe maybe a lot of style over substance there. Possibly it was you know all down. What to RNZ or Trevor Frankie Warren goes to Hollywood? <laughs> but um, yeah, no, it was, it was a, it's a decent song. I've got the twelve-inch single somewhere Have downstairs. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, good sounds, good production. Really good track, uh, Relax. Uh, in fact, quite iconic, isn't it, really? 25 to 5, the panel, RNZ National, Leonie Freeman uh, and Alan Blackman with me this afternoon. Well, it's time for the Bledisloe Cup. The All Blacks face the Wallabies in the Bledisloe opener in Melbourne's Marvel Stadium kickoff 9.45pm tonight. The Wallabies have not won the Cup since 2002, 20 years, but there must be a sense across the Tasman that tonight could be the night. And in a sea of Aussie rules, one club flies the flag for real rugby. John Anderson is president of the Rugby Club of Victoria. They are an independent from Rugby Victoria and Rugby Australia. He's with us now. John, welcome to the panel in New Zealand. Thank you. 50,000 strong crowd. I mean, huge. What do you expect the atmosphere will be like tonight? (laughs) It should be electric. It's um, very interesting. You know, I suppose I look out the window at the moment and it's blue sky, but they're forecasting rain. So I assume they'll close the roof and the place will just go off. I think it will be really exciting to be there. Yeah. Uh, Big game with a lot on the line. Do you reckon the Wallabies can break the drought, John? Um, The talk of the town at the moment is depends which side turns up, but... I think there's nervous <laughs> anticipation. <laughs> we we sort of think that, uh, you know, our results haven't been great, but we've sort of shown some class, and then, unfortunately, we go the other way. And I think the ABs uh, have struggled a little bit, but I think after their last game, they're going to come out strong, and they always lift by about 10%, I think, when they start playing the Wallabies. Mm. Yes. And have you been following the All Blacks' woes there, John, as uh, an Australian supporter? And what are your thoughts on that? Uh, it's an interesting one. I, I suppose we were all in about the same position. So, obviously, rugby in Australia is probably similar to rugby in New Zealand. It's probably time for a reset. 
there's plenty of opinion about it. And I think it's just something that, you know, I suppose it depends on how long you give it to reset more than anything else. So we've got, we've got an ex exciting 10 years coming up in um, Australia and particularly in Melbourne. So we're looking forward to that. As far as the All Blacks, I just wish them well. Yeah, and that's it. <laughs> uh, you, you must be. You must. Uh, before we get to our guess, you must be hoping, if not desperate, uh, John, that the Wallabies, after twenty years, lift that cup tonight in your city. Well, it won't be tonight, but yes, we yeah. we we are desperate. There's no doubt about it. But it's it's one of those sort of things we're used to not winning. So. I think we're going forward with a little bit of hope, maybe more hope than usual. Yeah. Leonie? Well, all I can say is that All Blacks are going to win. That's it. <laughs> That's it. You know, All Black supporters, I mean, if, if they don't, then I'll deal with that tomorrow. But, you know, we've got Kiwis, we've got to be um, supportive to our All Blacks. You know, they've had a few challenges, but we know they always come back. And, and at the end of the day, they're, they're, they're our New Zealand All Blacks. So I just assume they're going to win. You're with the New Zealand audience now, John. So, yeah. uh, you know. I, I, I know. What else are we going to say? <laughs> I think it's fair to say that you should have high expectations because I think, you know, whenever the All Blacks come here, that they come on a mission and yeah. they're very, you know, they're desperate to win over here. I think, you know, arch rivals and whatever. And you've got a, a well-experienced, um, you know, group that are playing. We've still got a lot of young ones and people that we're sort of trying to bring back from the past. And a lot of uncertainty, lack of cohesion maybe, and eight changes to the lineup. So yes. it sort of makes it a bit difficult for the Wallabies to turn up and win on the night. Alan, you going to be watching it? Uh, no, no, I don't have I don't have Sky or whatever it's on. But um, I I'll get shot for this, but I'd much rather see a New Zealand cricket team win a Test series in Australia for the first time in about forty <laughs> odd years than, than, than the All Blacks win tonight. Please. Well, well we, Alan, why we couldn't we have rash. both? You know, why couldn't we have a... Why couldn't we have both? <laughs> yeah, let, let's have our cricket team one and the All Blacks. Yeah. Let's, you know, this is the well, Australians why, we're why talking it, about. Why is it a two-test series? John? Because it, it being a two-test series, you um, you know, if we win tonight, Best then it's all three. over. John? That's exactly right. And if you if it's a draw, you still win. You still retain the bled as low. So it's yeah, exactly. It's a bit of a no win for us, but yeah. fair enough. Yeah, you've got to beat us twice. Hey, we That's were talking. Right. We were talking about Melbourne uh, in the office here, and uh, it, it is amazing that you've got this. Uh, it's a massive stadium. Mm. Uh, you know, fifty five thousand people covered. Possibly, I have to ask you though, John. Melbourne is. Aussie rules. I mean, the Melbourne Football Club published the first laws of Australian football in 1859, making it the oldest wow. of the world's major football codes. What does it feel like to be a fan of rugby union in Melbourne? Hard work. <laughs> Expand on that. I think, I think for most of us... Rugby's actually been around since the early uh, 1920s over here, so it's, it's been around a fair time. But it, um, in a lot of ways, you know, we'd love to see uh, a greater audience. And there's actually is quite a large audience here. You know, there have been surveys done that there's about 250,000, um, you know, avid supporters 
in, in Melbourne, and then we go, where are they? We just don't see them. So it, it is, it's a bit tough, but I think what we've got to do is we've just got to get smarter. And, you know, the fact that we're, uh, uh, I suppose, there's 20-odd professional sporting codes in Melbourne, and we're definitely not in the top six. We've got a few challenges it's ahead amazing. of us. But. It's just amazing. <laughs> I, I find Melbourne truly unique, John, because here we have such a iconic cultural and artistic centre, and yet sport, Aussie rules, it's just insane, The uh, you know, how you go for it, the AFL there. Um, one Australian colleague called rugby AFL in slow motion. Is that fair? <laughs> 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 that Aussie rules is actually the better game. What do you think? Well, clearly not. <laughs> I, I've been in Melbourne since 1980, and I'm a Hawthorne supporter in the Aussie rules, and I don't know when I last watched a full game of Hawthorne playing anybody, whereas i very strong supporter of rugby, and I'll watch the Rebels play every game, and I'll watch the Wallabies and whatever. So, yes, minority, but... I still think that there's more to rugby than there is to <laughs> AFL. Good on you. Hey, John, yeah. uh, all the best. And uh, all Well, the... no, 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 not all the best. No, was... all, all the best as long as New Zealand wins. <laughs> I was going to say, I hope the Wallabies win, but I shouldn't say <laughs> no. that. In fact, I won't. I'll re- no. renege that. Hey, John Anderson, kia ora. Thanks for that. Uh, John's the president of the Rugby Club of Victoria uh, there. And, uh, yeah, all, all the all the best to the All Blacks. So they've yeah. been through... Quite something, quite a ride. And a 55,000 sellout crowd. I mean, that is fantastic. So Melbourne has come out to yes. support uh, the, the rugby. And yep. um, it's so great to see the big crowds coming back after COVID. And um, just go the All Blacks. Yeah, Seventeen fifty-four thousand Kiwis in there. Well, possibly, quite possibly. That's all right. <laughs> Don't mind. 16 to 5, the panel are international. Uh, there's a concern that we could unwittingly go into an era uh, with echoes of the leaky building fiasco, an issue that has dogged New Zealand building over the years. A new problem is emerging, according to some industry observers, and that is building standards. It could be leaky membranes, gaps between tiles and walls, new builds already needing remedial structural work. Anyone can call themselves a builder regardless of qualifications, said Malcolm Fleming, uh, New Zealand Certified Master Builder. And if you've been in the situation, I would like to hear from you. You can email me, thepanel at rnz.co.nz. Have you noticed something amiss or awry with your new build? Anyway, with us is Roger Levy. He's from the Homeowners and Buyers Association. Roger, kia ora. Hi, Wallace. Uh, I, I, I could only imagine, I was talking to this with Leonie off air, uh, nothing would be more heartbreaking than getting into a new build. Uh, you're a couple of years in and next minute you've got a bit of a bit of an issue with the tiles or the grout uh, or indeed a bit of water inside. Yeah, well, these are, these are um, ongoing issues. I'm not, I'm not sure I would say it was a new... A new uh, a new problem. It's really a continuation of of the historical leaky and defective home um, problem, where we're just seeing um, ongoing defects in properties, uh, not maybe to the same extent as we saw in terms of the st- systemic failures uh, that we had with leaky buildings. But um, you know, we've seen a lot of a lot of ongoing issues, um, which are, unfortunately I think are going to continue long into the future. What is the scale of the issue, do you think, Roger? Um, I think it's a large 
it's large scale issue. Um, coming back to the leaky and defective homes, I think we've probably only dealt with about twenty percent of that issue. Um, Goodness gracious! And yeah, and, and I mean a lot of these homes are outside of the ten-year limitation period in the building act, so they have no recovery. And pretty much everything that was sort of built in the highest risk area, um, we've seen failures. Um, from and the, the, the period from sort of early 90s through to mid 2000s, and then as as we've got closer to to current times, um, we've seen ongoing issues with uh, structural issues, particularly in a lot of the larger multi-unit complexes. Uh, and then there's just the usual spate of um, issues around finishing, um, painting, tiling, all those sorts of things, which are quite difficult to deal with because. They're not compliance issues, so they're not things that councils look at, um, and so they really are difficult to deal with. If you, you know, if you get a home and it's um, it has a lot of these sorts of issues, um, you know, you need a strong contract that sets out the finishing standards that are required, and even then, it can be very difficult to get um, builders and contractors back to address issues after the fact. They move on quickly. Um, and, and a lot of these problems well, just drag on. Before we go into, and I know that Leona will have uh, 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 thoughts on this being part of the sector, Alan, as well. Um, is it part, is it, I mean, the number of new consents up by 24% in the year to December of last year. Is it the case of untrained tradies filling the role of builders? You've got often um, unskilled, maybe unsupervised workers that are working very fast with, with the pressure to get the job done and then move on. Well, well, that's a problem at the moment because of the quantity, you know, the amount of building that's going on and the pressure to uh, to get it done and the shortage of, of resources and, um, you know, projects that we're involved in. We've seen a lot of delays uh, caused by con- um, uh, consultants and sub-consultants, fire engineers, and, you know, who just don't have the resources to get all the work done. And so that, that causes um, significant delay that that flows through to the projects, and you know, I think that that we'll see a, a change over time. What I'm hearing is is a slowdown. Um, I'm talking to, to builders who are telling me they've got very full books for now, but not a lot coming in the pipeline as we get into the okay. end of next year. Leone, do you agree with what you're hearing? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I certainly aren't hearing it's anything like the issues we had with the leaky building some years back. Um, so I, I suppose, and I'd be interested, Roger, to see what you would recommend, but I, I think that if you're getting work done on a single house or, um, you know, renovations, then you've got to do your due diligence on the builders and make sure they are qualified and they, uh, you, you know, you, you sign good, strong contracts. Um, and then when, when work is finished or your house is finished, make sure you get uh, – a proper um, uh, inspection done by a qualified building inspector before you agree to settle and make sure everything's up to standard because once once you've settled, it's it's certainly harder. So I think, um, you know, like with anything that we get involved with, um, you know, there's a lot of really good operators in this industry who do a really professional job, um, but there are always some that perhaps don't. So, so Roger, make sure you cross your T's and dot your I's, Leonie's saying. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think... Um, Strong contracts, uh, good due diligence, strong contracts is, are really important and, and I'm uh, continually surprised at people who approach us who have got themselves in trouble um, in, a, in, a, in a new build uh, situation or a remedial situation and when we go looking for the contract it doesn't exist or it's a pretty yeah. 
light contract. But um, oh. one thing I've got to say is, you know, I don't think anybody should be under the illusion that we've dealt with the leaky building problem. Um, you know, we are dealing with huge issues continually that stem back into the late 90s and early 2000s that are costing millions and millions of dollars to address. So, you know, people need to be very careful when they're considering purchasing pro- properties in that sort of risky area. Okay. Era. Yeah. Well, let's bring in Alan. <clears throat> yeah, Leon, you, you sort of mentioned something about, you know, check out the builders and make sure they're qualified. But Wallace, you were saying that anybody can call themselves a builder. Um, and so, therefore, what then makes a qualified builder? I, I was under the impression that a builder would at least have to belong to the Master Builders Association or something like that, that there'd be some sort of builder's qualification that you couldn't call yourself a builder without. And, I understand and surely that's, not... that's, that's got to happen. Yeah, yeah. Roger? Uh, so there's the licensed builders, uh, licensed building practitioners, practitioners regime, mm. the LBP scheme. Unfortunately, when that scheme was built in, it was watered down significantly because there was concern about having enough builders to build, and and we're suffering mm-hmm. from the uh, the flow and effect of that, where you know a lot of builders need to be uh, weeded out of that scheme. But it's been reviewed at the moment, and I'm, I'm involved in that. Um, and uh, you know, it needs to be a much stronger. Um, Regime, and it is the the only non-commercial regime that um, exists. Master builders, certified builders, they, you know, the commercial organisations, and they have their place. But um, the advice to anybody would be to make sure that they are engaged in a licensed building practitioner. Now, LBP, right. there's a register on the uh, on the um, on the web, and you can look up, see what the registration is, and there's a recourse there if if they're an LBP and they don't perform. Bit of interest in this one, Roger. Uh, Roger. We might come back to this again, but uh, for now we'll have to uh, leave it uh, there. Cura, thank you. That's Roger thank Levy from the uh, Homeowners and Buyers Association. Here's one, De- Wallace. Defective builds are rife in the tiny house business. So many cowboys building dodgy homes and ripping people off left and right, getting away with it and leaving a trail of broken-hearted customers. No hope of recovery. All good to spout due diligence, but the industry needs exposure uh, and regulation in this person's view. Anyway, eight to five, and I wanted to talk about uh, this this afternoon with Leonie Freeman and Alan Blackman. Mourners have been queuing overnight in London to pay their respects to the Queen as she lays in state before her funeral. However, the arrests of some anti-monarch protesters during royal public events has sparked debate about free speech. The Met Police has since said people have the right to protest. So when is it appropriate for people to air their criticisms of their own? With us is Professor Katie Pickles from uh, the University of Canterbury. Professor Pickles, kia ora. Kia ora, Wallace. Uh, And first up, make mention, because we were talking about the queues uh, uh, off air, just looking at those queues overnight, I mean, quite extraordinary scenes there, Katie. Absolutely. It's a public outpouring of grief, isn't it, by some, by those who are queuing up and going along. Definitely, absolutely, for um, uh, the Queen who was on the throne for 70 years. Mm. So this particular angle um, of what we're quite interested in, what do you make of the criticisms being made of the Crown during this time? Well, I think what it comes down to is the Crown is the body politic and it's the institution. And if you look at the protesters and their signs, which are very respectful, aren't they? They're being very careful there. They're they're protesting about the the monarchy. 
And so they're not um, disrespecting the Queen or really going against mourning. Uh, remember when Margaret Thatcher died and people were going, ding dong, the Wicked Witch is dead right. and being really public about it. It's not about the Queen at all, is it? And they're individ- mourning her as the, the body mortal, the, the individual who was in charge. So it's not that. But so it's, it seems to be about the monarchy in general and then also about the new king, the not my king. But I think what it really seems to be, they see all the opulence in, in the pageantry, this absolutely, the pomp and circumstance, isn't it, that's absolutely on show, and they think the money could be better spent on the hungry and, and the yeah. cold and the sick. So that seems to be what it's about. Yes, because we've just talked at the top of the show, uh, inflation is rampant in the UK. People are struggling just to find the money to pay their power bill. But still, there are people uh, wanting to respect uh, the Queen. Leonie, what do you think? Is this a respect issue or a matter of free speech? Yeah, I think it's quite a challenging one, actually. And just on the thing about the UK, some of the pubs are being threatened to have to close because the power bills are so high and people aren't going out to the pub to drink beer. So there you go. That's pretty major mm. for the for the pubs. I mean, it's one of those things. Um, lots of the English, uh, you know, are showing respect, and I think that's, that's fair, and it's obviously a country who... Uh, very close relationships with the Queen but I do think you've got to allow if if we do believe in freedom of speech you do have to allow people to disagree with that. Even at this time? time Even, well it, you know like it's, I don't think it's something I would do um, and um, but and, and it doesn't seem to be too many people um, and it is, look there's, there is that fine line isn't there because whilst we do talk about freedom of speech we still have rules around that for um, areas where it's taboo or offensive or hate speech or things like that so we don't allow that in well, our culture. Um, stay there, Katie. Let's bring in Alan and, and mm. we'll come, come back to you. Yeah, um, my feeling on this, um, I guess a family has just lost their mother and, um, you know, let them grieve in peace. And if you don't agree, maybe just give it a few days. Huh? You know, it's going to make no difference whether you start protesting now or in a few days. Let's just get all of this out of the way and... Um, you know, and, and, and this whole freedom of speech thing, um, oh, I don't know about that. I mean, if this was the Westboro Baptist Church, for example, busy protesting, um, I think we'd probably feel very, very different about it. Um, you know, they're a thoroughly objectionable bunch of folk. But, um, Who are they? Sorry, yeah, what, are you, what, are you saying? what are you saying, Alan? The, the Westboro Baptist Church, oh, you know, yes, they, of course. they go I, along and... I understand, yeah. Hey, um, yes. Katie, I just want to sort of... Uh, not to crystal ball gaze, but looking into a century ahead, how do you see in a, in a, in a minute? In a minute, how do you see the monarchy, royalty, changing or reshaping themselves over time? Well, I think what's been happening and what you see here with all this opulence and pageantry, and it's what my granddad, who was free to the left, always said, it doesn't cost the taxpayer really very much when you put it. I mean, even for if you are struggling, you look at all that pageantry, but it's going to pay back massively in the tourist dollar. Mm. And I oh, think that you'll yeah. see the monarchy already have turned into celebrities by and large, and they sell, and, and that this is what this is really all about, I think, uh, for a lot of what's going on. And so it's a very attractive product that we we're seeing, and I, I think uh, they'll become more that way. That's the way it goes with less real power uh, in society. That's the trend. Well, let's start our own monarchy then. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> if they're that good for yeah. tourists, let's start yeah. our own one. Well, we? But it, it would cost us a lot, so it's actually quite good to freeload off the one that is, which is yeah. what we effectively do, isn't it? So let's yeah. hope they don't get rid of us. <laughs> we get very good value off it, actually. Will, will King Charles III have the same, I guess, mana as Queen Elizabeth, is what many people have been talking about. He's a very different individual. Yeah. He he is he is the latest monarch that that is the constitutional monarchy, this hereditary system. But he's a very different man, and if, and he is a man. Of, yeah, he's definitely not gendered um, feminine that way, and all those wonderful queenly qualities that our queen had. Mm. So he's going to be very different, obviously, in different times. And um, yeah. It's a hard, hard, um, hard one yeah. to follow because the Queen's been there 70 years and done an amazing Kia job. Kia ora, Katie Pogos. Kua mutu te hōtaka mō tēnei rā, kia pai, tō koutou pō. That's the show today. Have a great night. Thank you, Leone. Thank you, Alan. Thanks Lisa Owen with Checkpoint yep. next. See you tomorrow, 3.45.